Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, it's nice to see you today on this beautiful wet Monday. How are you doing today? Can't complain. Good. Good to be here. Good to be here. No doubts. Hopefully, you don't have to get your canoe and paddles out over the next few days. It's going to be a little wet. So, yeah, hopefully everyone's safe and doesn't... I don't think we'll get a Harvey, but there's some people freaking out right now. I think... If you went through Harvey, it will every major rain event is forever going to be in your mind. <laughs> yeah. And and rightfully so. I mean, it's just it's tough to imagine how much that impacted the city and still does today. So mm-hmm. I mean, Space City weather, everybody. I know this podcast will come out after the storm, but you should be following it. They have push notifications. It's called They'll, Space City. Space City weather. Okay. And yeah, so you can download the app or go to their website, but it's a couple of meteorologists who are in the Houston area. So this is for our Houston area listeners. Yeah. But they'll tell you, you know, how the models are evolving. It's not too technical, but kind of, hey, if you're south of I-10, be ready for this. If you're west of 99, be ready for this. So just do a good job of tying together the flooding risks, especially, and, you know, other things with what weather forecasting shows and a little more specific than going to the National Weather Service or something and trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. So Well, look at there. So I learned something new today. And hopefully for all the listeners out there, you learn something even not just weather related, but maybe base oil related today. What do you think, Matt? Should we tackle base oils? And for the listeners, we, we've done base oils before, but we've had an internal request to talk about base oils and some of the nuances that go into you know, the different types of base oils, and hopefully we can help answer some questions that a gentleman had internally here. And so Matt, let's talk today about cheap base oils, because they don't always, they're not always fancy and expensive. You can find some cheap base oils out there, can't you? Yeah. And I mean, I guess the question is, how cheap are they really? As we talk about with a lot of different things, but you know, I think there's a lot of interesting data. It's not necessarily easy to interpret about, you know, environmentally friendly options or, you know, what is a synthetic versus an enhanced mineral oil. And, you know, there, there's usually pretty good documentation on how they perform with fluids. And then there's other things that could work as a base fluid, you know, that might be a distillate or a diesel alternative that are that you come across where people are are trying to sell them as a drilling fluid base oil option. And the problem, once again, is are they cheap or are they not? And I, I thought it'd be good to have that conversation. And clearly, one of our colleagues did as well. Yeah. And I think it, it becomes, it's one of those things where it's kind of cyclical, right? When oil prices are low, diesel's cheap, and it's not really a conversation. But then all of a sudden, as oil prices go up, folks are looking for more, you know, quote unquote, cost effective alternatives to help sort of cushion the blow from the high commodity prices. And so at least from my experience and observation, that's, you know, typically when I hear people talk about alternatives, it's typically when oil prices get up. So I think it's kind of, it's good timing because oil prices are continuing to bounce around where they are around 70. And there's some people out there that think it's going to go higher. So this conversation might actually be, you know, quite common going forward. So anyway, Matt, let's talk about I'm assuming everyone has a good idea of what base oils are, but what would what are sort of cheaper base oils or quote unquote cheap base oils? So I mean, the the problem is it can be just about anything, right? The definition is is pretty loose because 
it's obviously non-aqueous, but it's fairly tough to define from there other than perhaps their source. So these could be, for example, contaminated materials. Like let's, let's say it's diesel or an intermediate that got contaminated with water and now I can't sell it to put in an engine and I can't really sell it for its primary purpose, but maybe I can get rid of it as a drilling fluid additive when we're already going to add water to it, right? Mm. It could be like the bottoms of a tank that held something that I can't sell it because it's got heavy components, it's kind of dirty, so let's try and use it as a base oil. It could be one of these kind of what I call refinery offshoots, but you know, an intermediary or, or something that wasn't necessarily part of the primary product, it's sort of the leftover there's a few of these base oils when you're making like asphalt and that kind of thing that you use the, you know, part of crude oil for asphalt and then everything else is sold as base oil. Right. I mean, so as much as, as vague as that is, it can be sort of like a, a, you name it, you know, even as far as things like synthetic motor oil and like, I mean, I still change my own oil because I am that cheap, <laughs> but you know, the other day when I went to the auto parts store and I dumped my old synthetic motor oil into the big tank that goes with everybody else's used motor oil and that gets sent somewhere, right? Well, it can be re-refined or refined again. And basically those carbon chains can be reused into other things. And Mm -hmm. some of the stuff they can't use could be sometimes offered as base oil. So the problem is nailing down exactly what makes it cheap is one thing. Another thing to consider is the reason that it's cheap is because it doesn't meet at least diesel specifications or whatever it was supposed to supposed to be. It probably doesn't meet specifications that would have commanded a, a market price for whatever it really was supposed to go for. Mm. No, that helps clarify that. And, you know, it's interesting because being, you know, drilling in, you know, various areas throughout the States and probably a lot of other places throughout the world, if a client or, or if someone who's drilling a well can come across a cheaper base oil, it's easy to just think, hey, I mean, we're throwing this stuff down hole anyways. We could probably mix it in oils and oil. Surely they've got products that, you know, they can use to adjust their properties as they need to. But I mean, what kind of technical issues can arise from just throwing any type of base oil in there? And and what do we really need to look for? Well, I think this is a really important one just because keep in mind that a lot of the folks that are selling this, they're probably not drilling fluid people, right? They've been tasked to get rid of this stuff and get some money for it, which means they might understand a few things about drilling fluids, but they may also, you know, make some claims technically that may only be part of the time true or may not be universally applicable. You know, I I mean, I'll go as far as say, like there is one group out there that they brag about the high PV their oil has. It gives the mud. You know, we all are trying to keep our plastic viscosity as low as possible, their oil is very thick, but they see that as a benefit, whereas we would say, actually, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And so, you know, I'll start with viscosity just because I mentioned that. But some of these oils are very, very thick. So, you know, you look on their spec sheet and they have very high kinematic viscosity. You know, it could be twice that of what diesel is, for example. And um, kinematic viscosity, not to put you on the spot, but can you like summarize what that means? I mean, the simple version of it is it's the viscosity, right, mm-hmm. at a controlled state. Okay. So basically, as long as the temperature is the same, you can compare this like for like. Gotcha. Right? So you could look on a table, and if at 40C, it's six st- centistokes, it's very, very thick, where diesel might be in a range, but it might be between, what, two and four or something, right? It's Gotcha. It's not going to be nearly as thick. 
And so, you know, sort of the the other thing with that is because it's thick, it can result in a lot of gelation. So all of the when it starts to pick up solids, because it's already thick, you start seeing gel progressive gels. You also might see, you know, really high viscosity at surface, which in cold weather matters just because, you know, the fluid moving across the pits moves real slow, mm. doesn't pump as well, and then you're sending cold mud downhole, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Or thick mud downhole. But you know, part of that too is the the consistency side of things, right? So there may be a specification that's a range. There may be no specification. And because of that, it may be that you test one batch and everything looks good. Or you, you throw in some and say, man, on that well, it, it worked fine. No problem. And I saved a little bit of money. Yeah. And the next well, all hell breaks loose. And the fact is that it was the same material but maybe it was the bottom of the tank and the last batch you got was from the top of the tank. And it's very different from batch to batch or even from load to load out of the same tank. Right. Actually, that leads me into my next question is how would you describe just overall the level of quality control that goes into these types of base oils? I mean, sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes it's trash they're trying to sell, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a waste stream that they can monetize because the last possible place is the cheap oil field, try to make oil by a smud cheaper, right? And the challenge there is that we can get carried away because sometimes, for example, with a thick oil, they say, oh, you don't need as much organoclay. Your low end rheologies are already elevated, which may be okay for an initial batch. But what happens is that mud actually gets contaminated. And now I've got a different problem that is the only way I can control is by diluting with a different oil. So, you know, and, and we've even seen a few of these where they might not even claim it. Like it, it may actually be just, you know, a, a different kind of, you know, waste stream of diesel or something where it takes us a lot more product to make a stable drilling fluid. And so whatever you're saving on the cost per gallon end is costing you in the product consumption end. Right. So the savings aren't all 100% there. And we've seen this a number of times where there, there were these claims of, savings that kind of in the long run didn't really pan out. And, and sometimes they weren't, they didn't even claim it. It was just, we did some testing and we found out pretty quickly, like, wow, it's going to take a lot more product. to I mean, it's not that it can't be done. It's just for whatever reason, it's going to take a lot more product to actually make this work. So, right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. And as we're talking through this, you know, I can imagine even looking at it, if we're, if there's somewhat of uncertainty as to where it's coming from, the consistency from an HSE perspective, I would imagine that would present some challenges there as well, would it not? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I can only speak in generalities because I'm talking about generalities, right? You yeah. know, when we think about like diesel, which has clearly defined exposure limits from OSHA, and, you know, we sort of we sort of know what we're dealing with and an open air land rig, we sort of know that, you know, fumes and that sort of thing. But just consider, for example, like the flashpoint, right? That's going to affect transportation and, and other things, but just the nature of if it's a really low flashpoint, do I need to do anything differently when it comes to storage? If I'm trying to use it in, for example, like a direct emulsion system, or I find myself in a system where, where oil separates, does that create more risk for me? Odor is actually an interesting one just because I've, I've read a number of articles out of you know Colorado. And if you drill in Colorado and you're rolling your eyes right now, I'm sure 
you know, these different counties have different rules and, you know, the communities in some places are, should we call it overly engaged? Um, <laughs> and so even the smell matters. I mean, I mean, look, I'm sure we've talked in the past about base oils being selected for their lack of an odor because it was near a population center where people could smell it. Right. But some of these are particularly bad where it might make things worse. So odor is even a thing and it's, you know, obviously fairly difficult to measure other than measuring what's causing that odor from a distance. But I, I think kind of the, the main message I want to get across from the health and safety perspective is, so we, you know, we kind of know what the permissible exposure limits are for diesel muds and that sort of thing. And, but the other part of it is we don't really know about some of this other stuff. And so you need to get with the health and safety professionals on the rig or with that customer that wants to buy it and get an understanding of, you know, if, if we're in a good spot there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the thing is, it's not something I'm very well versed in, quite frankly, other than having read, you know, what's acceptable, you know, it, it's, it's something that a health and safety person should sign off on. Yeah, most definitely. And I think a lot of it kind of goes back to what we've talked about in the past, generally speaking, is just planning. Yeah. And so if, if, if this is something that's coming down the pipeline, and you're anticipating using a different kind of base oil, get with your HSC representative and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about using this different base oil. What kind of information would we need to collect to make sure we cover our bases? A lot of times, you know, depending on the operator and the size, they have a really strict safety guidelines and certain HSC policies that may or may not, you know, just because someone in the field thinks it's a great idea, all of a sudden maybe the office may have some other ideas or thoughts towards what type of oils and this and that. And so at the end of the day, just get with your local or your, your representative, whether it's on location or your, the company you're working for, just to make sure that's covered. Cause I, I mean, especially now and more so than ever, it's, you know, taking the health and safety into account is the utmost important on a rig site. So just really want to emphasize that. Absolutely. And, and I'll say that, okay, some of these cheap base oils, like there's a couple, I'm not naming names, but there's a couple that go through my head right now that are pretty well established and they're used under certain conditions, for example, in like really low, they're thick oil. So they're low, typically very low, low density areas where they only drill with low mud weights because mm. you don't want to weight those things up. Right, right. Or they drill with crazy high oil water ratios basically because they have to get the dispersion because the oil is so thick. But those sort of established ones, they probably have the measurements when you're, when like, someone is offering you trash, just understand there might be composition-wise an understanding of, of where it's going to land with those, within those limits and make sure everybody has the resources to, you know, have that communication. And that's between the operator and the vendor. You know, they ask us if it's technically feasible, but we always come back with, you know, please consult with your health and safety people just because there might be something we don't know. Absolutely. No, yeah. that's that's a great point, Matt. Which kind of ties into the next topic here, I think, is transportation. You know, there's a lot of challenges around transporting certain fluids, hazardous material. Matt, what can you speak on that front? Well, I think that's the, you know, the big thing is if some of this stuff's classified as hazmat, then there's a lot more regulations as far as transportation and and that sort of thing go. And so because of that, it may not be nearly as attractive. It's going to be more expensive to transport. It may not be as attractive. And so that definition needs to be understood. And then I think just even from a general logistics perspective, price from where has been an interesting one where yeah. we do all this work because it's two cents cheaper a gallon than diesel. We go through it all and then we find out, oh, it's actually going to be five cents more a gallon to transport it to location. And we were talking about our price on location. 
Mm-hmm. And so now we're actually spending more money for something that's probably inferior. Right. That goes back to a term that we've used in here, you know, the total cost of ownership of, of you know, whether it's a product or a service you're using is you have to kind of think outside of just the immediate use of it on a rig because there's a lot of other components and factors that need to be considered. And, and yeah, if you're getting it from, you know, New Orleans versus a local shop in Midland, there's a cost associated with that. And so it's something else to consider for sure. Yeah. And I mean, quite frankly, you know, I think when you get to making sure that it's a viable base fluid, you're going to do some lab testing. And we don't have to waste our time with that if we figure out the objective was to lower costs and it doesn't lower cost. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, good point. So Matt, let's assume, you know, we've crossed our T's, we've dotted our I's, we've done all the research. And, you know, from an HSE perspective, the cost makes sense. From a technical standpoint, what if we want to use it? What would we do from that point to make it feasible to put on a rig? So I think, I mean, the first thing is make it in the lab. You know, compare it to a baseline of whatever your conventional base oil is, whether it's diesel, whether it's something else. The ABS-40, for example, which is one of our base oils we use in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. So make a barrel of it and side-by-side side compare it to a barrel of maybe make several barrels. Do a low and, you know, high mud weight. Then the other thing you need to do is you need to stress it, by that, contaminate it and see how it behaves. Because I can make a, a lot of these oils may look, I could probably formulate a clean barrel of oil-based mud out of them. And they will probably have that data. The vendor will probably have that data to share with you. Mm -hmm. The problem is when this stuff gets dirty, it becomes very expensive to maintain. It's not as cheap as it initially looked when I made 100% fresh barrel, which how often do we make 100% fresh barrels of mud? No, it's I start adding this stuff in, and once it becomes a critical component of the system, reaches that threshold, it starts wreaking havoc. And we've got to figure out what to do next. Right. So from that perspective, stress it, verify the properties. I mean, sometimes we we look at these things and whatever they have on their spec sheet is miles off the sample they sent us. So it might be, you know, testing the kinematic viscosity, checking, you know, we want to check the flashpoint. We want to, you know, we want to make sure some of those critical base oil properties and drilling fluid properties make sense. Just because we get some weird stuff and we can't explain it. I mean, I will tell you that like there will be some of these that look like nice oil-based muds, but like you can't get control of the fluid loss or, you know, just something weird that requires a bunch more product to balance it back out. Yeah. And that helps capture what it's really going to cost to do to use this stuff. And then I, I know you already mentioned it, but I think once so we've decided that it's gonna it could save some money. Operationally it makes sense. I think circling back with the health and safety folks. And I think if you are deploying anything that's dramatically different than what you were using before, I think you need to educate everybody on the rig crew yeah, and just make sure everybody understands that it's something different. And even if you have to treat it a little differently or, or what have you, I think you just need to communicate and, and make sure any pitfalls you've identified, everybody knows about, everybody understands. And then, you know, one thing I would add is if you do decide to go ahead and use it, check your data after a couple of good wells and compare yeah. them with wells you've already used was actually cheaper and ask the customer if they think it was, you know, most of the time the feedback you get is, well, we haven't had any problems most of the time. Right. But well, we haven't had any problems. We say, well, actually look, you're, you know, you're, it actually costs a little bit more to have this. And they're like, Oh, well, I guess we do have a problem. <laughs> so I think just trying to make sure, I mean, we always talk about capturing data and KPIs and that sort of thing, but when you make a big change, mm-hmm. capture some benchmarks and circle back to them 
which is all going to be cost, right? Our goal was cost. So, I mean, I think that sort of sort of covers it. It's just, it's very frustrating to see some of these cheap things come to market or be offered and sometimes aggressively promoted without all of the information available. And I mean, I'll be candid, you know, we're, we're drilling fluid guys and our customers hear this information and they think they have an opportunity to save money. And we're in the position of disproving what may be a falsehood. It might not be intentional, right. but it, it certainly isn't true. And then we're, you know, the guys who, you know, thankfully it's not like we have an agenda, right? We're, you know, if the customer, the customer buys base oil, it's up to them. But at the same time, it's just an awkward state to kind of rain on everybody's parade once everyone's excited. And so that can be kind of kind of frustrating. And it's something I hope we can stay ahead of and, you know, communicate more when, when these things are considered. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Matt. And, and again, I think this is a good, good episode, short and sweet, and really got to the point of just understanding what you're using, understand the limitations, communicate, and just gather as much information as you possibly can before deploying it on a rig is, is really what it comes down to. And while keeping health and safety at the front of any, you know, at the front of the line when it gar- when it comes to using anything new and possibly cheaper, because sometimes cheap is not better, but sometimes it is. You just got to find out whether it is or not. So Matt, anything else before we close out? I don't think so. This was a good one. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the request. Yes, absolutely. And with that said, if anyone has any questions or thoughts or anything like to add to the topic today, please hit us up on either LinkedIn or you can reach out through email at the flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. And yeah, again, if you have any sort of stories or any base holes that you think may or may interest us that we've never heard of, give us a shot on LinkedIn or yeah, hit us up either way. Thanks again. Please subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.